We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast, Newcastle 1, Watford 2. It was a terrible day at Vicarage Road yesterday. We are recording on Sunday morning. We've all had a chance to digest the results somewhat or throw it back up maybe. Um, I am Charlotte Robson. I'm joined by Chris Shipman, Norman Riley, and Adam Widrington. Hello, everybody. Morning. Hello. Hello. Um, we're going to discuss yesterday's, uh, what do we call it? How do we be nice about it? Maybe we can't. Uh, yesterday's defeat um, against a side that we really should be picking up easy three points from. Um, we have been told we're in this sort of weird COVID world where fixtures are all at once and um, and it's all just very strange. And we keep being told to believe that we've had an incredible season. Pundits repeatedly saying that um, that we should be, you know, Newcastle have had a great season. People referencing, you know, we've only started scoring goals since the restart, really. I mean, we have, we, we, we really, that's where we struggled and we've talked about it on this podcast a lot um, for the for the most part of the normal season. Um Norman, how does it make you feel that that you're just being told and told and told that we're having an amazing season and that we're a real yeah, I mean, the threat? Lies. Um, the reality is, you know, you look at Watford yesterday. Nigel Pearson took over 11 games into the season. Um, they were on nine points. Uh, sorry, he took over 10 games into the season. One, they were on nine points. Um, and basically... In the 24 games since, sorry, the 25 games since he's picked up 25 points, um, Newcastle have picked up 20. So Pearson, over the, you know, since he took about Watford's actually done a better job, you know, better um, air quotes yeah, than, than Bruce. So what have Watford had a brilliant season as well? And in that case, if we've had a brilliant season, that means that Watford have had a brilliant season. Um, it's it's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah, I'm not a brilliant season. Um, it, it's been a, a mediocre season, punctuated by the occasional half decent performance. Um, most of those half-decent performances have actually come post-lockdown and that was you know, just after lockdown as well. We've had two consecutive defeats. The reality is, Saturday, I ca- it's difficult to criticise too much because Watford had a lot more to play for, for than us. You look at them on paper and I think, you know, let, let's say Decoria, Saar, Hughes, um, probably Kapu. Um, these are players who I think would just, uh, would just walk into our side. You know, so on paper, they've got some They've got some decent players that are just terrible defensively. 
Um, Pearson, as I say, has done a great job. They had more to play for. We in the first half we could have been, you know, we could have been two or three nil up in the first half. Even at the start, of the second half, we had a couple of decent chances. I think if the second goal goes in, we get a bit of um, daylight between us and Watford. We might go on and win it. But what happened was, I think lethargy just kicks in. We get into the second half. They have to raise the game. They're desperate. We become very lethargic. And as soon as they equalised, as soon as they equalised, you just knew it was a game up, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think that's sort of how I felt about it. I, I couldn't really believe it. And we can talk about the first penalty and whether or not it was a penalty um, a little bit later on. But um, we are going to discuss sort of um, where we are today um what we were told after man city was that you know we're going to be much better um we're going to discuss the substitute choices as well um baffling to me uh, perhaps you guys have different uh, different opinion and also a couple of the sort of first team uh choices as well chris how does it make you feel that we keep being told that we're having an amazing season i i'm just going to caveat this with i've been told um that one of the things that makes people go insane is um, when you're looking at one thing and you're told it's another. So I'm looking at our season and I'm like, it's not catastrophic. We're not in a relegation battle anymore, but I'm being told by all these pundits that it's brilliant and we should be so grateful. And we've, we've done, you know, we've gone above and beyond kind of thing. And that makes me feel like I'm going mad. (laughs) How does it make you feel? Um, I don't think quite angry. Uh, I don't think quite depressed. I think if I were to sum it up, I'd probably just say uninspired. Uh, and that this season, and particularly in the last few games, that Newcastle have just, I think, regressed to the mean. Uh, and I think Norman's completely right to say that there have been moments in this season where we have seen uh, either good wins or the occasional uh, good performance, if not necessarily over 90 minutes um, that often. I think over the last week in particular or so, if, you'd, if we'd had this conversation a week, 10 days ago, um, you would have probably had quite a positive uh, spin on things, particularly since we came back from lockdown quite well uh, and we were undefeated uh, in six. Um, but then a week, fast forward a week to now, and it's now, if you want to be glass half empty in a Simon Campbell mode, uh, I guess it's one win in five. Uh, and I guess if that doesn't illustrate the emotional roller coaster uh, at this club, what? Kind of does. Um, I think one of my one of my concerns that I've got at the moment, and particularly with Steve Bruce, and I don't want this to become a Bruce bashing, and I hope it won't. Um, but the concern from me is that all of his focus and the motivation that he seems to be having uh, in either talking about in the media and possibly to the players is of improving uh, year on year in terms of points total uh, compared to uh, the last few years and. My concern there is that it seems to be that comparison has been made to satisfy his own ego and prove that he is somehow a, a better manager or on the level of uh, the previous manager. I'm not going to say uh, the R word, um, but I, I think that's a concern uh, when he's kind of seems to be focusing on on himself and his own uh, standing in the game uh, rather than uh, meaningfully pushing the club uh, to the next level. Um, and my concern going into the next season is that. You know, obviously we're safe now and in the grand scheme of things, you're completely right. This is um, not a bad season in that we all thought at the start it was going to be 
really uh, heavy chance of potentially going down. That hasn't been the case. Uh, it's going to be a mid-table finish, possibly lower mid-table, but in the grand scheme of things, that's okay. But the concern is, for me, some momentum going into their next campaign would really, really help. Um, you know, going into that campaign off the back of this one, where potentially we might not have won in kind of the last five or six games, that might not necessarily uh, help us hit the ground running next season. And we did discuss at the start of this season the potential uh, for that difficult second season. We don't want to hang over. Uh, and Watford, in slightly more glorious fashion, I guess, are an example from that last season. Obviously, they had the cup final, started this, uh, that didn't work out so well, to put it mildly, started this season uh, and, you know, have, have been in very much uh, danger of going down. Obviously, we have not had that kind of glorious cup final moment, um, but it, it just serves to illustrate that there is that potential to transition form from one season into the next. Um, so, yeah, uninspired. And one of the reasons that we go to football is, you know, to have a moment of distraction and, and to see something wonderful and fantastic. And we've not generally been served that up this season. Or much generally in the last 13 years. I, really. I just, just quickly, because I can imagine Adam's you wanna, really, you know, in? with a, um, we're just basically chewing his knuckles off, dying to say something, but um, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, I just want to make a quick comment on the, the more points being used as a, a marker of success. It's a, it's a false economy because, or it can be, because, you know, everything's in context. Let's look at Newcastle under Bobby Robson, um, 01, 02, 02, 03. 0102, we finished fourth. Um, 0203, we finished third. We had more points in the season that we finished fourth. Now, which one was the better season? The one where we finished third or the one where we finished fourth? You know, it, if this season, if we somehow finished 10, 15, 20 points more than we did last season, then that would be deemed as a success. But this season, if we're going to finish three or four points ahead of what we did last season, if we do that, and if we finish one or two places above or one or two places below, then the whole points being better doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Thank you, Norman. This is a therapy session as well as um, a public podcast, so I'm pleased that you did. Adam, don't worry, I haven't forgotten you. Um, <laughs> just on that um, Bruce point, Adam did write a, a brilliant article that's on our website um, about the sort of Bruce debate, and it actually doesn't really go into um, our previous manager much, does it, Adam? It, it sort of makes a a good comparison with um, Pardew era. Yeah, well, you know, the, I find that the whole Rafa v. Bruce debate clouds, the, you know, us being able to properly assess how well Bruce is doing. And what I found on, you know, and looking at his, you know, his pals in, in the media and people on on social media as well, I find that it's it's more of the the it's more the Bruce supporters that like to ref, reference Rafa more than you know, people who like to talk about Rafa more. Like, I, I, I find it's, I find it's Rafa's, uh, Rafa's uh, critics that keep bringing him up. Um, and while he keeps getting mentioned on, you know, in, in, in matches, um, it's in co-commentary, it's, it's very bizarre. But yes, I aim to, you know, take, take that Rafa element out of the argument and let's, let's look at Bruce based on, based on uh, well, what he said himself. Let's hold Bruce up to his own standards and let's see where we get to. And actually, it's it, it's arguable. He was he was extremely happy with his striking options. He said so. And and look, I understand that you, you sometimes say things in the media just to, you know, to keep morale up or to play the game and all this kind of stuff. But 
it was how emphatic he was he was happy with his strikers. If he wasn't happy, you'd kind of give a veiled like, you know, you know, we've got a big, you know, we've got big Joe in, um, Gail's experienced, uh, Carol brings something else. Um, I'm thinking I'm gonna, but no, he he went he went beyond that and said, with my I with my experience, my confidence, I'm no we we can move forward. I'm extremely happy uh, with our striking options. We, we we need an attacking threat against t- t- tough sides, and we have that threat now. We have that threat yet before the before the lockdown, before you know it, we were we were the joint lowest scorers in the entire division. So if we're if we're if we're gonna uh, put Bruce up to his own standards, he's failed in 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 that respect to get the most out of his attackers. He promised us front foot football. Well, that's interesting, and and I'm going to pull us back to the match that we are discussing, the Watford game yesterday. Um, in 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 that um in that context as well, Adam, because you're saying what Bruce is, let's hold him up to what he's saying. Well, well, Bruce said after after Man City that um that we were going to have much better. That he was disappointed with the attitude of the players when they came out and and things like that. So, so if if Watford was much better than City, was City Worse than we thought. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this is this is it. It's it's you know what what was the most you know nobody was too, um, you know nobody nobody thought that the defeat literally losing to Man City was like the end of the world. It's it was the manner of it. It was the body language. It was the fact that nobody was fighting for for the manager or or did they know what the plan was? There was lack of shape it was just getting torn apart so you think that between that that city game and the Watford game all they would want to work on is sort of the togetherness uh former you know a robust defensive platform to to you know to, to build upon and to ensure if nothing else that there is a solid balanced shape that we didn't see against Man City against Watford and that actually that there was a bit of mental resilience as well and, and and that's the point that has really really concerned me this week, the spirit that that togetherness. I'm not seeing it, and you know, is that a is that a symbol that people have stopped that the, the players have stopped believing in what Bruce is telling them, or is what Bruce telling them not having an effect? We don't know what goes on in that dressing room, but something happened at half time that ensured that we completely capitulated and that there was only ever going to be one winner in that second half. Yeah, and I think, you know, it might not even be about Bruce at this point. It might be, we're safe, like, fine, like, breathe out, we're okay. Maybe maybe it's that, maybe it's a combination of all these things. Chris, did you want to jump in? Uh, yeah, I think just to kind of echo what I said earlier, and Adam has um set me up pretty well for this one it's it's a concern for me that um we can't seem to string together a a good performance over 90 minutes uh, much and i think this has been a a thing that's cropped up quite a lot this season Uh, and coming back after lockdown i know we're against bournemouth they're a pretty bad side and are pretty definitely going down but it was nice to see a pretty complete performance um over 90 minutes if not 94 because gosling pull one back late um but i think these last few games have really illustrated that this side has it, it finds it very difficult to pull together a complete performance and that is down to the manager and adam's completely right to mention the half-time team talk 
um, you know, what happened uh, there because the first half and the second half is such a cliche of game of two halves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you would really hope that he would be able to kind of motivate them to, to come back out and continue where they left off because generally in the first half, there wasn't much going wrong um, aside from uh, that LaSalle's clearance off the line. But then if you flip that round and take, to take a positive of that, the, the grit and determination to get back and clear that off the line um, is reflective of that desire and you know focus on the cause. Yeah, Norman, did you want to add anything to that? Yes, please. Um, I will <laughs> sound like I'm making apologies here for the performance yesterday. I'm not. I'm looking at this in context. Now, I understand that we will look at yesterday's performance as being a kind of microcosm of the season. But if we take the game as a standalone, we'll look at where we are in the league season. What, three, four games left? We're safe. Absolutely zero to play for, other than pride and finishing as high up as the table as possible. But we've seen this happen with teams over the years. You know, they get to the 40-point mark and they kind of just fall off because the, you know, the, the naturally kind of just start regressing because they just want the season over with. I know that's a it's a terrible attitude to have, but it's not just Newcastle that, that happens to. You know, you look at you look at a team like Crystal Palace three weeks ago that were being touted for Europe after they hit that forty-two point, that magical forty-point mark, got to forty-two points, and they've you know they've they've sunk without a trace since. So I think yes, we were lethargic in the second half. Yes, obviously something happened at half time that impacted on that second half performance. But you have to look at look at the opposition. Watford, Watford are battling relegation. They've just come off the, a win against Bournemouth where they were a goal down and they come back to win for the first time that season. By the way going to go down and come back to win. They've got the bit in between their teeth. They know that three points in this game is pretty much going to effectively seal their place in the Premier League next season. They had everything to play for and it was always going to change um, in the second half if we only went back out with a one-goal advantage. And, you know, to be fair, at the start of the second half, the sort of first five minutes, we weren't actually that bad. We did have a really good chance. I think Gale put one over the bar. That was a, re- a half-decent chance. That could have been a 2-0. And as I say, we'd be having a different conversation right now. But obviously... Watford start coming in the game. We start switching off, as I say, because of all the reasons of that I've mentioned, the fact that the season's ending, we don't have anything to play for. Watford get that goal. They're inspired. We're not. They're going to win the game. Now, there were decisions that were taken by the manager on the sidelines in regards to substitutions and repositioning the players that, that impacted on it. But at the same time, I can't take that much away from Watford, given that they were absolutely desperate and, and Pearson just, just got it right um, the sort of last half hour or so. Yeah, I think sort of a concern is that Watford did get it right. They, they obviously they won, but they, they weren't good. They weren't a good side. Like that's a side that, you know, even like two weeks ago, we'd have expected to give a pasting to. So I don't know. It, it, it feels just, yeah, it does feel like that sort of giving up thing. The Crystal Palace comparison is really interesting. And, and I had forgotten that everyone was getting very excited about them a couple of weeks ago. Um, Adam, did you want to jump in? Yeah, thanks. I, I just, it's its funny, isn't it? It's sort of this irony that us and Watford seem to have this role reversal thing going on because what I've known of Watford the last few seasons is that they've got to mid-table mediocrity at a good point in the season uh, with, you know, for the final few game run-ins. And they've, you know, characteristically always just imploded, haven't they? And they've lost managers <laughs> from doing that, like... Uh, Matsari, I believe, is, is was one such example where they they just completely switched off because because they were they were safe. They weren't in a relegation battle, couldn't make it into Europe, um, and we were the ones like Watford trying to put in shifts towards the end of the season, trying to get ourselves out of it. So it's this weird 
it, it, it's this weird role reversal thing. What, what what does concern me about Bruce is that, look, I mean, he's he said by his own admission that he's he's not necessarily, you know, has the tactical prowess of other coaches uh, or managers. However, you know, if he's supposed to be, if he doesn't have that as as, as kind of his, um, you know, his, his his unique selling point, then what is it? Is it his motivation? Is it the fact that he's in, you know, he's a he can get the best out of his players because he's personable and and I believe that you know that that'll be a part of some of our successes this season is his um, arm around the shoulder approach to to, to management. Um, but you know, if, if if one of his if one of his main attributes as a as a coach is t- to at least motivate, then that, 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 that's that's something I haven't seen um, in the last couple of games at all. And and sure, as you as you said, it's just worrying that he specifically came out after the Man City game to say that to, to say that yes, we need to address that. That won't you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna show you something better. And I mean, we we maybe did for a little bit, but then it's just it wasn't sustainable, and maybe. For me, that's kind of symbolic of his of his wider performance as a manager this season. In, in regards to, is it unsustainable? Like I, we don't know which Newcastle we're going to see. I don't. I don't know what we're building towards. Things keep swapping around a lot. It's 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 difficult to kind of keep up with him and understand what he's trying to achieve game on game. And if you don't have that kind of, it's difficult to build trust and reliability with a manager when it feels like they don't know. What their best perform uh, the formation or lineup is at any given moment, and that's 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 frustrating. That's that's really frustrating, and it just concerns me because you know out of everything, Bruce should at least be able to motivate. And 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 yes, Norman, I totally see your point. Do we have anything to play for with regards to to that? No, but what we could have done is this is it. Every time which this has glass ceiling at the top half, any time we get a sniff. Every time someone says, oh, uh, you know, mention, you know, whisper it quietly, but Newcastle are quite close to the top half, we just implode. Is it just a mentality thing? Is it just nosebleed territory that we're just not used to being in that position? And we crumble and we, it's, we're never in danger of uh, threatening the top half while Hilarious. reality is like that. Hilarious that nosebleed territory is 12th. No, but <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Look, look, I think the thing is, you know, we as a, we as fans, we've accepted the fact that we've got uh, not the best manager and not a particularly um, good squad in terms of you know the quality that that it can reach without having an exceptional manager who can make or manage tactics. So what we saw yesterday was, in my opinion, a performance that isn't outside of the standard. That that's that's what we're going to get at this uh, this part of the season. The problem I've got is obviously is that when a manager comes out after a match, after a pasting at a Man City and says, you know, we're going to rectify for Watford and then it's not rectified, then it almost makes you think, what's the point in saying it? Like, can we not, can we not just have some honesty here? You know, either don't say anything after the Man City match or, or just say, yeah, it was a terrible performance. Um, we're going to have to move on from it. But it's the end of the season and it is a difficult time of the season to motivate players when, you know, when we ultimately don't have anything to play for because that's the truth. That is the truth. Um, and I think... What I, what I found frustrating about yesterday was obviously, you know, yeah, yes, we did. We did switch off. We did kind of fall into this lethargy. But ultimately, again, I'm going to have to give Watford some credit here. You know, there, was, there are instances in the match where you thought, yeah, they, 
they're just doing what a team in their position is doing. You know, there was one particular instance where all of a sudden they're pushing really high up the pitch. Um, and, and Hughes, I don't know if there was one chance where Fernandez kind of made a mistake and he, and he almost put in Dini for a goal. And that was just Watford pressing higher, saw getting up higher, Hughes pressing, Shelby naturally going back onto the edge of the box. Because the lethargy had come into the game, Shelby was all of a sudden, you know, 30 yards from our goal line. Um, trying to get the ball and trying to do something with it. So a little bit of credit to Watford. But yes, I think that the, the problem that we have is just honesty. The press saying that Bruce's manager of, you know, could be manager of the year contender, it's dishonest. The um, ambitions for Newcastle finishing in the top 10 and going on record and seeing it, it's dishonest. You know, there has to be an acceptance of reality. We are a very sort of mediocre, middling Premier League team. It's quite simple. And to... To start thinking that we're going to get any higher up the table and do any better, whilst Mike Ashley is one of this club, and whilst um, you know a manager of Steve Bruce's calibre is in charge, it's just it's just a waste of time to even think like that. You know, we've got forty three points, job done, move on. Yeah, and it's a sad indictment, really, that isn't it? But I think that is the case. Chris, did you want to add something? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I guess it's just uh, to echo to a degree what Norman's just said about um, perceive what success means and I think it's a mixture of concern and frustration for me that um, you know I think to be fair to Bruce what he's done at the club this season is some degree of stability keeping us in the league but when success and stability are equated that is a concern and a frustration for me because they're two different things success isn't coming 12th in the Premier League stability is um, but it's that kind of willful uh, and slightly cynical kind of combining of the two um, that I think is, you know, pretty wrong. Yeah. And um, I think um, Norman's point of um, Steve Bruce essentially lying is brings us nicely into uh, what I want to talk about next, which is sort of, we will get into the subs. There is a lot to be said about the subs, but um, before we do fairly briefly, I think I wanted to um, bring up the fact that, um, you know, Steve Bruce has told us that contract negotiations don't impact game time. They're not going to impact player selection, but I can only assume that that is another lie because, um, Fabian Cher started over Matty Longstaff yesterday and Fabian Cher is not a central midfielder and and Matty Longstaff is and it, it, it was just it was baffling to me that I mean Cher I don't think I think he struggles in that position and um and it was yeah it just made absolutely no sense to me when when Matty Longstaff was on the bench he wasn't even like he was selected for the squad he just wasn't starting at I, I couldn't understand it and to me it seems like you know it, the only thing I can think of there is that is that these contract negotiations and the drawn out process that we're in like is he going to Udinese is he not like who knows um it, it, it's a, it's kind of a punishment for that um Norman do you um agree or do you think Cher was the right selection oh he absolutely wasn't the right selection um he's not a central midfielder we know that the the difference between playing as a centre, being a ball-playing centre-half where you've got the full pitch ahead of you and, you know, shake and break from the back and then get himself back in a position to actually being in the middle of the park where you're having to, you know, support the attack, defend, support the attack, defend, but not actually playing in your natural position, which is a centre-half. It's it, it, they're two completely different positions and just because Fabian Chir is comfortable on the ball and can pick a pass doesn't mean that he's going to transition into centre and midfield dead easily. It's like, um, I don't know, it's like... I suppose it's kind of like playing Isaac Hayden at centre half. He'd probably be okay, but you know he wouldn't. 
he wouldn't be particularly great. And if you know, and if let's say let's say Isaac Hayden was put in the centre half, but Paul Dummett was available and on the bench, you know, who who would you play? Really, in theory, who would you play? You'd put Dummett in, wouldn't you? Because he's he's a centre half. Um, so no, it, it was a it was an odd decision. To a certain extent, I can see where you know uh, a football fan who isn't involved in the game directly would think maybe Fabian Che could play in that position precisely because he's a he's a good footballer. Um, but we've seen him in that position on numerous occasions. I think three now, and he's he's been terrible each time. And you know he wasn't the worst player on the pitch yesterday, but he didn't he didn't offer anything really. Um, and the fact that Matty Longstaff was on the bench, unless he just wasn't match fit, and in which case you probably think, well, why is he on the bench in anyways? But unless he wasn't much fit, then he probably should have been in the team. And and I think ultimately it might not have anything to do with the fact that he's you know he's he's not signing a contract um, or you know he wants to go. If if I was him at the minute, like you know as ridiculous as that might sound, but why would he want to stay? You know, like what like really other than his love for Newcastle United as a, as a Newcastle fan as a Jody, like why would he want to stay if he, if if he's got the opportunity of going to a club in Italy that that's got ambition that's going to you know, developing him as as a player and as a as a as a person, then I can I can completely understand why he'd be thinking. Actually, if this takeover was not happening and this is what it's going to be like, then then I'm off. I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that against him at all. Yeah, yeah, it's reasonable. Chris, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree that I think it's a very risky negotiating tactic on Bruce's part. And to be honest, I think it's going to backfire. I, I think the other thing that is really out of order is the kind of dog whistle impression that Steve Bruce is giving of. Matty Longstaff as being somehow greedy in press conferences. Um, you know, yes, he's raw, um, but you know he has proved at this level that he can impact games and he does show a lot of potential. And if you look at things in context, both within the club and the wider Premier League, um, this fee of thirty grand a week, um, obviously for all of us, is a huge amount of money. Uh, and yes, is a lot of money, but in context, it's not a huge amount of money, even within our club. So Yoshinori Muto. Um, 55 grand a week that he's on. Jalinton, uh, yes, okay, 40 million pound signing, but 70 grand a week in what, two Premier League goals? And even Rob Elliott, who hasn't played in like three years and is now gone, but was on around 25 to 30 grand. So, you know, I, I think you do need to invest in talent. And I think few players in the last 10, 15 years that have come through the academy setup have been as exciting as Matty Longstaff. And I do think it's probably worth paying that money for him. Uh, and, you know, even if you compare him to his brother, arguably, he's possibly at this point more exciting uh, than his brother. Now, I'm not advocating losing Sean Longstaff either, but I think it definitely makes sense to tie, tie down um, Massey. Um, yeah, but, you know, it is a real worry. And I do think, unfortunately, he will go. And that will be a huge shame. Yeah, I think it does look like that, doesn't it? I mean, he's not getting game time. He's obviously in these complicated negotiations adam um go ahead <laughs> yeah just i just wanted to bring it back to the, the the game a bit yes i mean stick matty in there stick bentleb in there bentleb didn't have i think he, i think he's i think he's an okay player bentleb and i think he would yeah i think he had a really poor game against man city but even so i think he would have been a much better bet um in in central midfield than fabian share like i I'm quite a fan of Cher as well. However, in a central midfield with Cher and Shelby, are you really going to have the discipline, the tactical discipline? Are you really going to have the industry that we're missing? Like th- that's that's for me part of the reason why things fell apart. You know, we saw 
against, you know, as, as, as Norman quite rightly explains about, you know, a ball playing centre back playing in midfield, it's 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 not it's not just an easy transition. It's not just a case of standing twenty yards at, further forward. It's a completely different role. It, it requires box to box movement. It requires you to track back. Yeah. Which which as a central defender, as, as Norman said again, you're always looking forward and you can see the whole game in front of you. Suddenly he's got a blind spot behind him. And that's kind of how um David Silva got in for an assist for one of the goals against Man City. Um Lazaro had to kind of go back and pick up Silva's run, but it was actually Cher who should have been following that run as well. So it, it, that that that's bizarre, and that's completely on Bruce. That's not an in, that's not based on um, we're down to the bare bones injuries that we have to play a centre back at mid, in centre midfield because, as we quite rightly pointed out, there was at least two centre midfield options, very good centre midfield options, much better than a than a centre back. But you know, we talked about this after Man City, and it's this. This constant, like the square peg and round holes, like great. If it it's a it's bold from Steve Bruce. Like if it if it Steve bold it if it, <laughs> it comes off, fantastic. But if you get a humping because of it, if 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 it if it, if it uh, contributes to 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 the demise of the team, having been a goal up, then you need to take accountability for that. If if we're going to be praising Bruce for all the good things that he's done, and we and I think we have been balanced. But when you when when you make errors like that that actually impact the result, then it's not enough to just come out after the game and start bleating on about the validity of the the penalty calls. Take some accountability, Steve. They were your that was that was that was your side. And 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 look, when the lineup came came out at the start, I looked at it and I thought, well, beyond the share thing, because I didn't think that was going to work. But we seem to be a lot more balanced than we had been against Man City, and I, and I thought, yeah, that that that's, sort of makes sense. Like you know, the balance on the wings um, and balance through the centre as well. It just it just I got a better vibe from it. And like I say, the, the the way that first half went, it was you know we had a couple of chances. You know, Almiron's chance in the you know the start of the game showed that they were going to be fairly complacent from set pieces at the back and it was Watford in the first half who were were panicking at the back um didn't have you know just completely lacking in composure and then whatever happened at half time we just it's almost like we completely swapped with Watford and it was our defenders that were suddenly panicking our defenders who were under the cosh our defenders that just were thrashing around trying to clear the ball out and we, we couldn't from that point we just couldn't get a foothold in that second half and <laughs> and then and then we go and uh, shift Mankiw over the left back again <laughs> yeah that was that was definitely where i was going to go with this i was like we've got to talk about Mankiw being over on the left like that makes absolutely zero sense especially at that point in the game but but we 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 seen in previous games just how of a of an issue that was and how you know really exposed on that left hand side simply by it not being his his natural side it's this this obsession with square pegs and round holes to like what is it is if he comes off he suddenly becomes a tactical genius because nobody else saw a way to play that player in that position like is it just being contrary on purpose to sort of have your own identity what don't know what it is. Yeah, and um I know Norman you wanted to talk about about Mankio specifically as well. Totally incredulous about about that sort of switch. Like you say, we've seen that that simply does not work. Um and obviously Mankio ended up giving away the second penalty, I think. Um 
Norman, do you want to? Well, I think, I mean, I won't be, I'll be quick here. I just think, I think it's interesting that obviously one of Bruce's strengths as a manager, um, Suey here, is that he's he's very he's a very good man manager, good at putting his arms on players, encouraging them, you know, and building really friendly relationships with them. Whereas obviously we know that the previous manager was was removed in that sense. You know, he wasn't ever going to be a player's best pal. He was going to um, impact on that game positively in, in other ways. Um, but the Mankiw one kind of, it's interesting because it's obvious Mankiw can't play at left-back. Now, he played left-back under Benitez in the first season, especially when we were down to the Bay of Bones, and he got a lot of criticism, Mankiw. He got a lot of criticism. He's a terrible signing, you know, lots of it. I mean, on social media, whatever kind of barometer, barometer that is. But he was never actually that bad at left-back. He just wasn't particularly good. And what he had was, obviously, Benitez kind of micromanaging him through the games. It was a, a case of, very much a case of, you know, he's got to have almost every kind of movement he does on the pitch um, dictated to him because he's not a natural in that position. And he moved to right-back under Benitez last season and he started playing really well. And he's played really well at right-back this season. And he's clearly quite a good right-back. You know, he's not a world-beater. He's not going to tear it up. But he's a solid, dependable Premier League right-back. And he's a terrible left-back unless he's being micromanaged. And even then, he's not that good. Um, so what happens yesterday was he switched to left-back and within seconds of that move, Happening, he's turned inside out by a right winger, and he gives a he gives a penalty away because he can't. His body movement just is not used. To, it's not used to playing in that position. But also, it's having to make that change like within seconds. Bang! It's having to change from being a right back to a left back. Your body movement has to change. The foot you're using has to change. And he gets and he obviously gets confused and he gives away a penalty. Now, his his morale is going to be impacted straight away by that. Um, and it was just a it was just a bad decision and, and a one that I don't think was necessary in the slightest. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that's all I've got to say. And, that, and the other thing is as well as I think bringing on Joe Linton for Richie instead of bringing on Lazaro in the 72nd minute was just a was just a very poor decision. Yeah, an absolute madness. And I've been teasing that we'll talk about the uh, substitutions. Um, so I think I'll move us along to that now because we've been talking for nearly 40 minutes. So um, we're 1-1 down. Um, we've, we've given away a penalty. Chris, why why do you bring why do you bring on Joe Linton? Why do you bring on Emil Kraft? Uh, well, short answer: you don't. Uh, I, <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, and only a madman would. The only thing that I can think of is Mad this man. kind of this this willful like this rolling of the dice or kind of desperation to um, get Joe Linton and Kraft to be successors. Uh, and yeah, to be fair to Kraft in the last few games, he's played better. Um, but the bar was pretty low for him. Uh, and Jalinton, I mean, we've just seen all season just this kind of desperation, just l- lumping back in the lineup, even when he's not playing well, even when he's demoralised, even when there are better options. Um, yeah, just terrible, terrible choices. And to take Dwight Gale off, you know, at one all, um, you know, I, it just reeks of, of playing for the draw. Um, Dwight Gale is in really, really hot form, three goals and five. Uh, and I just see no reason to kind of take him off unless there is an issue. And I don't think there was. Um, but yeah, to, to bring on Emil Kraft and Jalinton, incredibly uh, depressing uh, state of affairs, I think. Yeah, extremely depressing. I, I just couldn't believe that. It doesn't make any um, tactical sense. We know we've discussed it on this podcast many times about Steve Bruce's sort of lack of in-game management skills. Um, and, and to me, that's just typifies that like right we're, we're one we're equal I'll bring off our only proven goal scorer this season um I mean center forward goal scorer 
obviously our defence can score goals. Adam, did you want to jump in as well? It's yeah, it's it's just a little thing, but it, it's something that's just it's quite jarring. Is that like a lot of his substitutions, Bruce, like weren't like for like. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's that is quite that's quite a that's quite a jarring thing. I mean, the closest thing is when, um, like you say, Joel uh, came on for Richie. And you think, well, Joel Linton will be pushed out left like he has done, and that's kind of a straight swap. But then within minutes, Gale was off, and then Joel Linton was pushed back through the centre again anyway. But then before that, so like essentially, Bentaleb came on for, for, for Gale. Kraft came on for Rose, which is logic there. It's kind of a like for like because of Mankio moving across, even if we don't agree with it. And then later on, Lazaro came on for Lascelles. So what you get there when it's when, when it's constantly like not like for like stuff is the shape keeps changing and you wonder if his changes that you know he'll make a substitution things will change slightly and then another substitution will make mean that you have to have another shuffle around is that confusing the players themselves because i mean something from watching football that i've noticed uh, during lockdown with the five substitutions is once the substitutions start rolling it's it becomes increasingly more difficult to understand what is happening in terms of shape and formation because it's there's a lot more changes and it becomes a lot more complex is especially if they're, they're not like for like it's not a, it's not a major criticism but it, it's just it's interesting that the, the substitutions always seem slightly more complicated than they need to be uh, to the point that I wonder if the I wonder if the players are equally as confused something I will say about what Bruce and how he conducts himself when things go badly just it almost for me slightly takes the shine off uh, good things he's done because when he when he's thrashing around like this with these substitutions and formations that and, and a plan that well and there doesn't seem to be any real discernible plan from from game to game if i'm honest is that when he when it does go right is that, as we said this kind of roll the dice approach to management is that just i'm not saying it's fluke but it's you know few of us are simpsons fans here is he pulling a homer is he succeeding <laughs> despite it you see and and, and, and it's you know when when you kind of see under the hood when things don't go wrong, you just think, "Oh, is that you're the same guy who beat Tottenham away?" Like, like it, 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 it's it's just strange. It's I, I I can't reconcile it in my head that we really know what we're doing. And I think the players got confused yesterday as well, as well as being demoralised from whatever happened at halftime. And yeah, we talked about the fact that you know. Watford had something to play for, and they obviously got a rocket at half time, and they 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 showed that. But for me, the, the changes didn't represent what was what was needed on the pitch. We needed more control in midfield in that in that in that second half, and we didn't get we didn't see Bentaleb until there was ten minutes left. It, yeah, it, that, that in itself, where we need where we need control, we're crying out to get a foot on the foot on the ball to look forward. And start applying pressure to what? And yes, Watford had fight, but they're still a very poor football team, and we should be doing better. Yeah, I think the rocket for Watford was more the sort of you know slightly soft penalty that that Gale gave away, and then and then the realization that we weren't going to fight back like that. I mean, I'd love to know. We've, we've touched on it. I'd love to know what. Um, what was said at half time and and I'm sure you could make some hilarious sketches of of the half time um uh, changing room chat but before we're not going to do that that's not what this podcast is about Chris did you want to 
jump in. Yeah, jump sure. in's my th- word of the day. I apologize. I've said it about 45 times. <laughs> I think it's also just the players that we didn't use. And we've talked about Matty Longstaff uh, at length already on this podcast. So I won't talk about him. But players that we were, we were talking about and to a degree talking up on the preview podcast that we did for patrons earlier in the week. Uh, Christian Atsu, DeAndre Yedlin and to a degree uh, Yoshinori Muto. Um, one of Watford's huge weaknesses is dealing with pace and to try and get us on, up the pitch and relieve pressure, as Adam rightly says. You know, Atsu is capable of that. Yedlin, from a more defensive position, is capable of that. And Muto, maybe, possibly. Um, but those three and Matty Longstaff and, and putting on Bentaleb, who generally this season has been pretty poor, and then we've talked about Kraft, it's just the players that he didn't use and why. Um, is is a real kind of mystery to me. Yeah, it'd be good to get inside inside his head, but um, not for long, I don't think. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, we're, on that note, I think we'll wrap up. It was a difficult game to watch yesterday, but we move on. We have Spurs midweek. Um, we will be doing a post-match podcast about that as well we've moved the midweek game podcast review to our patreon platform please do check that out if you would like to um we do heaps of extra podcasts every week um on all kinds of things um including our previews our pro view with keith gillespie we've had on there as well i think he's coming back again um and uh, and yes and we'll be back uh, in your ears for free uh, after the Brighton game next Monday. Um, fingers crossed we, I mean, fingers crossed we set up and sub um, appropriately for both of those. I mean, that seems to be two of the key issues um, that we have discussed on today's podcast. But uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.